Hello and welcome to Misbehave, the podcast where we explore human behavior in a business context. Season two of Misbehave is all about uncovering behavioral patterns which create success in life and business. We're joined by highly driven, accomplished individuals to assess their behavioral patterns and dive into how behaviors have influenced their journey. This episode features Anna and Kay Heslop, the mum and daughter team running one of the Northeast's most established lifeboat stations. We talk about everything from how to lead through the highest pressure search and rescue missions to running one of the UK's few all-female lifeboat teams to the key to navigating family relationships in the workplace with respect and clarity. Well, morning, Anna, morning, Kay, and thank you so much for joining us today. Let's start with you guys giving us a bit of a synopsis of your journey. And Anna, from volunteering to now leading the team at Colour Coats, and then Kay, how you came to join and lead operations. Excellent. Well, I'll go with Anna first because she joined first. (laughs) So I joined when I was 17. I didn't know what the RNLI was. And I was walking my dogs along the seafront and a young lad jumped into the sea and he got swept away when he jumped in. And I ran round the promenade after him. And the only thing I knew not to do was just don't go in the water after him. So I threw my life ring, called the Coast Guard, although I didn't know who to ask for. And the lifeboat from Colourcoats came around and saved his life. And a few days later, I got invited down to go and have a look around. And when I was getting shown around, I asked if they had any women because they kept saying the lads, the guys, the men. Yeah. And they said no. So I asked how I joined and... I think they regretted a bit because I've never left. I've been stuck with me for <laughs> 10 years now. <laughs> and then, of course, because Anna joined, you know how family members get roped in. And that happens right across the RNLI family. Um, it's not just an individual that gets involved. It's everybody. So I got involved with fundraising and then taking minutes and then doing other jobs until I've ended up with the RNLI operations manager at Claire Coates. You haven't said how you actually started, though. She used to drive me to shouts in a nighty, like in the middle of the night <laughs> before I had a car. So she used to have to drive me down in the middle of the night in like a pajamas or a nighty or something. So that's that's she used to respond to the pager when I did. So really, she's been involved. Right that's away. a good advert, isn't it? It's like just rock up in your pajamas and you'll get a job. <laughs> Got some cool pajamas, little Miss Sunshine ones or polar bear ones. <laughs> Takes recruitment to a whole different level. <laughs> That's, I mean, it's super interesting. I got I actually got goosebumps there when uh, Anna was sharing that story. I think it's interesting how you get involved in projects by just real life experiences. Obviously, those are volunteer roles. Tell us a little bit about what you do alongside that, Anna, if you want to kick us off. So about a year after I started on the boat, I actually got employed full time by the RNLI in a summer job. So as a face to face fundraiser on the beaches. And from there, my career has just grown. I've progressed through the roles, become a full-time manager with the RNLI and then a lifeboat assessor trainer. So traveling around and teaching people in other stations. And then most recently, I've been doing maternity cover as regional lifesaving lead as well. So it's quite an interesting jump because I have to have my my volunteer hat on, but then also my my work hat on. Um, So I need to know when the the cutoff is because in some circumstances, I'm... Mam's boss and then when I'm not at work uh, she's my boss so we, we flip between it quite a bit yeah and conversely I've never worked for the RNLI in a paid role I don't get a penny for what I do I don't get expenses or anything you know for like turning up for shouts that's just it's completely voluntary 
so I work for Northumbria University. I'm the Department Head of Education for Social Work, Education and Community Wellbeing. And that's my day job. That's what I do 24-7. And then the lifeboat is alongside that. And it's, it's a really worthwhile role. And in some respects, they complement each other. Give us a little bit of an idea with the balance of those two roles. And I know, obviously, this is going to vary, but just for the listeners, give us a bit of an idea of what that balance is. So volunteer time, you know, average number of call outs that you would get. And I know there'll be peaks and troughs, but on an average week, what does that look like? Well, we have set training sessions. So a Wednesday evening is dedicated to training, as is a Sunday morning. So every week, unless you're on holiday, and we do have cover for when people are on holiday, we are at the station, Wednesdays and Sundays. And that's very easy to manage alongside your role. If we have call-outs, again, we have a bit of a system. We've got a, a pager system called RCAMS. And I know at any one time who's on duty and who isn't. And it's the individual's responsibility to keep that up to date. So the helms will check that there's helm cover, the tractor drivers will check there's tractor driver cover, launch authorities will check there's launch authority cover and so on. And we just make sure that we've got that cover 24-7 on the coast. And what does that look like call out wise? You know, I suppose for people listening, they probably have no idea about what that looks like. Like how many, how many call outs do you do on an average year? What does that look like? So I think this year we've had we've had just over 30 call-outs. So that's spread across the year. Sometimes we might get four weeks where we get nothing and then all of a sudden we get five in five days or we've had five in four hours before. You just don't know because it can't be predicted when people are going to get into difficulty. Like nobody goes out and goes, I'm going to be rescued by a lifeboat today. So sometimes there's peaks and troughs in terms of busyness, which is why we need to make sure we have that overview of who's available at any one time. We're we're quite lucky because we've got people from such different backgrounds and careers. Some people are available during the day because they've actually been on night shifts. They're asleep during the day, so they can do the cover in the day for people who've got a nine to five job. So we're, we're quite lucky, but that seems to be the biggest juggling act because even if we think, oh, there might not be a call out today, you never know. So we need to make sure we're available. What's been your biggest lesson when you've been on the lifeboats? Tell us a little bit about what it's like to go out on. I think you you call it a shout. What's been your biggest lesson on one? Biggest lesson on one? I think when it comes to the training, the training tries to prepare us for anything. But really, training can't prepare us for, for everything. We need to be able to expect the unexpected. Like sometimes you might be going out and you might be dealing with a fishing boat. Other times you're going out and you're pulling someone who's just a hand in the water out of the out of the sea. Other times I've been called out to a baby before that was nine days old and couldn't breathe. I, I was not expecting that one. That was quite a shock and you just have to fall back and rely on your training. So definitely expect the unexpected. And once you get to the point of thinking, I've learned everything, then that's when you retire because you're constantly learning all the time. And you can always learn something new. Every day is a school day, right? Definitely. <laughs> Talk us through that feeling when that pager goes off and what that sort of end-to-end search and rescue process looks like and how you manage the, the pressure of that. What happens initially is the Coast Guard will page 
myself or one of my deputy launch authorities. So that page will come to me, they will tell me what the situation is and I have to make an informed decision on whether we can launch or not. So we have to know, you know whether the tides are right, whether we've got the right crew, whether it's something that we can do. When I authorise that launch, the pager then goes off for the crew to attend the station and I have to make sure that they are briefed as to the situation. When it first started, when I first got my pager, you get that adrenaline rush. You start to think, you know, and you start to get all excitable. Very quickly, I learned that that's not the way to go. You have to be very calm. You have to listen well because you have to then cascade that information on. You have to make the right decision. And when you turn up at the station, you have to be that calm person in case anybody else has that adrenaline rush. And you've got to keep the crew calm, pick the right crew and make sure that everybody is as safe as they can be. And then when it comes when it comes to us, so Mam would get a phone call which says this is what the job is. And so she can make an informed decision on whether we go or not. But when it comes through to our pager, it just says launch ILB, which means launch inshore lifeboat. So we don't actually know what we're going to until we get into the lifeboat station. So it could be anything. You don't know what you're dealing with until you walk into that building and you're you're having to make a lot of dynamic risk assessments and very quickly problem solve all the way through because you, you just don't know what you're going to. So I would agree with when you first get your pager, it is a an adrenaline rush and you're laying out your clothes and you're making sure your shoes are by the door and everything's perfect. And now it's not as much of an adrenaline rush because I'm so used to it and I know that staying calm is so much better because then when I'm picking my crew, I need to make sure that they're all okay and they're ready to go because you can get what's called the red mist where people just don't make the good decisions because they're they're so focused on one thing and we need to make sure that they can keep themselves safe before they try and become superheroes and dive off the boat and use that adrenaline rush in the in the wrong way it's like you said before you know when when you first rescued that young lad when you were 17 you knew that you shouldn't go into the sea after him because you'd had that training Mm. you knew throwing the life ring was the right decision so it's a blend there of the right training and understanding and actually logical thinking practical Mm. problem solving the mindset and And yeah you've got to have the right mindset and I think some of that came from my previous role as well because I was a police officer a number of years ago and you've got to think on your feet and make the right decisions and I think that's really interesting what you said there I know around that almost the red mist coming down because we talk a lot about behaviours and how there's the strengths of your behaviours but that they also cause blind spots right and and it's almost that thing of like we always say like if you're so focused on one thing you can't see the other thing so that behavioural mix of the team and actually if you've got people who are so focused on one element they may well be then missing other things and you know you've got two really dominant behaviours in challenge focus and reflective and I think that naturally will make you way more analytical you'll be able to assess a situation you'll be able to solve problems as you go through it and you described when we talked that the whole search and rescue process is all one big problem to solve talk us through a little bit about how that how that mindset helps you through when you're actually out on a search and rescue mission and what that feels like in the moment and balancing that almost need to be reactive in the situation, but also kind of step back and analyse and problem solve as you go through. 
So when you when you go out on a rescue, when the phone call comes through, if it's something especially time critical, we don't have time to get like a massive briefing before we go off. It might just be person in the water, Whitley Bay. And that's all the information we have to go on. So we're having to piece together information as we get there. So if it was something like that, person in the water, Whitley Bay, I'd then have to go, right, we're going to have to pick the crew. We're going to have to launch safely. Because even just getting the boat out into the water, is it high tide? Is it low tide? We've got different hazards then. Is it summer when we've got hundreds of people and paddle boards in the sea? Is it winter when actually we've got the waves crashing over us? So we're going to have a different danger there. And then once we've actually got past that part, it's thinking, right, I need to navigate there safely. So I need to use my local knowledge. I need to use my navigation systems. Have I got the right person sitting in the right seats to be able to drive us there, to be able to navigate us there? And then Whitley Bay, it's a really long beach for anyone who's been down. And there's quite a lot of rocks. There's St. Mary's Island at one end. There's different promenades. Whitley Bay is a, is a big space when you're just looking for one person. Where did they last enter the water? What are the tides doing yet? You're constantly pushed for time, so you can't sit down and, and really think things through. You have to prioritise everything that you're doing. And also, you've got four brains on that boat. Although I'm in charge of the situation, I've got people there who've also got good ideas, who've got eyes in their head to, to look out and say, oh, I've seen something, let's go over there. So it's trying to utilise everybody's skills in a very, very short space of time when if you make a mistake, it could potentially cost someone their life. So it's why we have to train in those scenarios as well to make sure that when we have to do everything so quickly and so precisely and correctly as well, we can do it the best of our ability. Yeah, I think you picked up a really good point there about Whitney Bay Beach, how long it is, because we had a call a couple of weeks ago where we were told that there was somebody in the water in difficulty near the car park at Whitley Bay. How many car parks are there at Whitley Bay? You've got Briar Dean, you've got Rendezvous, you've got Spanish City. So I think, if anything, this is a message for the listeners. If you see somebody in difficulty, try and stay calm yourself and give the right message to the Coast Guard. Try and give us a precise location or what three words or, you know, something that will help the rescue service to get there. Mm-hmm. Sure. We've got a, a lot of our listeners are, are business owners or entrepreneurs. It's really interesting when I was just listening to you there. And a lot of the things like finding a team, being able to problem solve, do the risk analysis, it's so applicable in everyday sort of roles and people like making business decisions, key business decisions. Obviously, not everybody's saving lives and not everybody's going into the same dangers as, as your role. But think it's really interesting when Laura and I were looking at your maps it was almost like you know often you would think that people would need to be have a real sort of bias for action to be able to do your role to be able to dive in the boat and everything be really quick and you'd be able to think really quickly on your feet but actually what we're describing here is you know particularly for you Anna you're high challenge focused and high reflection and actually when you're describing the need for that analytical thinking and staying calm those patterns really lend themselves well. Sometimes when you look at those patterns, particularly when they're pretty high, they're pretty dominant, you think, how can I act quickly? How can I think quickly? But actually, your training will allow you to be almost to reflect on those scenarios before you ever get in the water, I imagine. 
But also just because you're a problem thinker and more reflective doesn't mean you can't do it at its speed. You just need to do it before you take the action. And that's like a really an interesting takeaway, I think. And I think the way you described it there was so lovely. Like I almost want to take that snippet and play it when we go into businesses and do some of this work. Because that challenge focus pattern is the one that people struggle to understand especially when you find that a lot of entrepreneurs are the opposite right they're high goal focus even to a point where you sometimes see those signs of like don't bring me problems bring me solutions and we're like whoa 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 you need those problem focused people and the way you just described that was amazing around you know you go in the water you're looking for hazards you're looking at how long is the beach where did the last end of the water you're going and you're looking for this what you're describing there is that ability to spot the potential problems or the potential hazards and move through them so it's not about focusing on them and staying there but it's actually about spotting them whereas someone who's more goal focused would be less likely to look at all of those problems or hazards and they'd just be like how do we find the person and I imagine that you've potentially got a balance of that in your team when you were talking about that when you first hear of a rescue how do you select the right team what sort of things are you thinking about when you do that and there's probably you know, both of you come into that, but what does that look like? So for my side of things, it's one of the first things I have to do is I might select them myself because do I think that I'm capable of that job? Because it's interesting when you talk about the, the solution focus, one of the earliest things that we teach our crew is there's almost a priority order and it's yourself, your crew, your lifeboat, your casualty. And there's quite a lot of people who'll dispute that in in the early days and go, no, no, we need to go for the casualty. It's like, hang on, if you're not safe, if your crew's not safe, if your boat's not safe, how are you going to get the casualty? So we teach that really early on. And when I'm picking my crew, I need to pick people who understand that in that moment because you don't know what scenarios people have come from. You don't know whether they've they've just been sitting on the sofa in the house nice and chilled when the pager has gone off or whether they've actually been in a really high pressured meeting and they've come running down and they've been really stressed on the way down so it's I I pick them as well initially based on the demeanor when they arrive that's a big thing because everyone's trained in everything so everyone can do the job and then if we've got a different level so say we've got um, it's quite a flat, calm day and it's relatively safe in comparison to if, if it was a big storm. I'd be taking somebody who maybe didn't have as much experience so they could get some experience when they were going out. And then if we had something where we had a lot of people in the water and there's going to be a lot of heavy lifting, I might be taking some of the physically stronger crew. So it just it just depends. We've, we don't know who's going to show up. We don't know who's available. Everyone's trained in everything and it's very rare that we'll stand somebody down to take somebody else so that would have to be a really specific job if we were going to do that but equally even if people aren't going out on the boat we need shore crew we need somebody who can launch we need somebody who will drive the tractor we need somebody who will do that cleaning and supporting we need to have opportunities for everyone so everybody keeps current on their plans we need to make sure that there's opportunities for development so for example we had an exercise the other day i had a junior helm who needed to go out with a more senior helm in more challenging conditions in order to develop their skills. So all of the time you're thinking about that holistic development of the entire team. 
which lends itself lovely to your behavioral patterns like you're very people centric you know you're high affiliation high proximity and high external so they're all the people patterns and I think it's right person for the right role but also it's about making sure that you give people the opportunity to develop because first-hand experience helps people develop their knowledge and I think that's so applicable in any role and sometimes it's hard because you want to put your star players in but actually sometimes it depends on the circumstances whether that star player is going to shine how do you manage that key because you're like left on the show when your team that the, the crew has been chosen how do you manage your sort of your people patterns that empathy that feel for people how do you manage that when you're sat back watching ideally you need to stay calm and be there for everyone on occasions that doesn't always happen you know when the boat's out there in challenging situations it sometimes feels as if it's my children out there on the boat and I want them all to come back safe sometimes it is your child out on the boat (laughs) (laughs) it doesn't matter who they are they're all my children Um, you know there's a lot to do on the shore so the boat is out if it's challenging seas we might need to do a net recovery so you need crew to get that ready we need the fuel ready to refuel you know if there's a casualty coming back we might need to clear the dry room and have space there for paramedics or police or tvlb to come down so we work in a multi-agency way we support everybody there's even people who go and make the tea ready for people coming back you know so it's It's just, it's a great big family, a multi-agency family, and we all work together. Very collaborative, yeah. Mm -hmm. Talk us through, and I know we've kind of, we've talked around different things, but I'm interested specifically in the techniques that you use and are out there to manage emotions and pressure with the team. Because, you know, you kind of talked about, obviously, depending on the mix that you put together, everybody will be different behaviorally right and you kind of intonated that that you know everybody will maybe react to different things in different ways I could imagine that you know say you're dealing with a child there'll be different people have if they've, if they've got children they'll be potentially more there than than not and can you think of any examples of a search and rescue that you can share where there has been sort of high emotions or something's gone not as expected and what you then did to manage that I think one of them that really stood out for me was my first job as a helm. So when I'd actually passed out as a helm, we normally take a few exercises first before we start taking jobs. And then once once you do go on a job, you hope that there's a more experienced helm who also turns up at the same time and can come with you. And I was actually out on exercise and I had two crew members with me, one who was relatively experienced, one who'd passed out as a crew member not long before and then I had somebody on what's called an acquaintance run which they do three acquaintance runs when you first join so she was sitting in the seat just it was just sit there and watch basically and we got a double call out in the time we were out on exercise so I had nobody to lean back on it was was my boat and I was running it and I remember internally as we were going towards the job screaming in my brain going I am terrified (laughs) I'm absolutely terrified what am I doing this is not okay and externally I was going right this is what we're gonna do and I was trying to to keep my voice really really calm and we ended up doing two jobs one where we'd have to veer down through breaking waves which is where you drop the anchor and you reverse the boat back on the anchor line through breaking waves 
we'd done that and I had to send a swimmer in. So I was worried about the swimmer. I had the acquaintance running the back seat, just saying, sit still, don't fall overboard, don't move. And I just had to be really, really calm and make sure that everybody knew exactly what their role was while also trying to manage the boat. And after we'd had that first part of the job, we got called to two paddleboarders and we ended up saving the lives of a man, a woman and a 18 month old child who were at risk of drowning. And I remember I've never been so relieved in my life to come ashore and stand on dry land after that. And I spoke to one of the crew members who said, you were so calm during that. And I was like, wow, okay, I was not. <laughs> I was absolutely <laughs> terrified the entire time. But I'm really pleased that he'd seen me as calm because they feed off that yeah. massively. And I know when I was a crew member, if I ever saw my helm scared, it was quite nerve wracking because they're the one that's looking after you. They're they're responsible for your life at that moment. And I remember when I passed out of the helm, someone saying to me, you're a leader of the team. If you go out with four, you come back with four. The casualty, if you bring them back, that is a bonus, but you need to make sure you come back with the same people that you left with. And managing the emotions of other crew is really, it's down to managing the emotions of yourself because you need to be able to be in command of that vessel at all times. Yeah, we do a lot of leadership work and I think that's such a, a great message for any leader and it also demonstrates it comes in all different shapes and sizes. You talk there about accountability, about having clear accountability for who's doing what and those directions and instructions being really specific. And I think that's so important when in any role, when you're, you're leading from the front, but managing those emotions and that weight when stakes are really high must be, you know, must be unbelievable to then be able to translate and transfer that in your day jobs. Obviously, Kay, you've got a really interesting day job in comparison to the lifeboat stuff. Tell us a bit about like what the differences are between the two roles and how you manage that. I think there's a lot of similarities in that there's leadership responsibilities in both areas. The university is more formal, but it's still you're working with people, you're working with students, you're working with colleagues, you're making sure that things are organised, willing to plan, quality assured. And in some ways, that's very similar at the lifeboat. I think the difference for me is the lifeboat is hands on. It's somewhere I can go to relax, play, meet people. We've got all ages down there. My research is intergenerational research. The Lifeboat Station is a, a firm example of intergenerational practice. We've got children from babes in arms up to 92-year-old Bill who comes for a cup of tea on a Sunday. We have loads of support from the community and we welcome people to come down and have a chat with us and you know, pop into the shop and have a chat, have a cup of tea. We are part of the community and that's what feeds me. That's what gives me that intrinsic motivation to keep going. Amazing. How do you navigate? Because I think this is interesting from a relationship perspective and we have lots of people that we work with where they run family businesses. And how do you guys, because you're, you're similar in the fact that some of your dominant patterns are similar. Obviously, Kay, you know, your map is more balanced and you've got more skews towards big strengths, but also some blind spots in there. How do you guys manage your relationships in and outside of work and the lifeboats? 
I think we respect each other, don't we? You know, we've each got space. Anna lives in her own place. I live in my own place. We respect each other's decisions. We don't always agree, but we can talk about it and come to the decision. We've got a very, well, I think, a very easygoing relationship <laughs> to you. <laughs> yeah, I think we've, we've never really argued or anything like that. We've, we've always just had negotiations, really, from me being, like, able to speak. Just <laughs> sounds like me out. and my daughter. She likes to negotiate. <laughs> Yeah, we've just negotiated. We've never, never argued. We've just kind of understood the bigger picture for anything that we've come across anyway, which makes it a lot easier. But then we've got our own roles down there. And that really comes back to the respect that Mam's saying. We've, we've got respect for each other, but also respect for each other's roles as well. So there's, there's never conflict with it. I just have to sometimes tell Mam to switch off <laughs> because I've done it now for 10 years and when mum got our own pager, I noticed that adrenaline and I was like, right, calm down. <laughs> We've got time. And yeah, just, I think I'm really proud that mum's involved in it. And I think she's absolutely fantastic in the role. That, I don't know, I'm saying something nice. Absolutely fantastic in the role that she does. So I think it's great that she's involved. So it's if you were doing a bad job, then maybe it would be a, you would tell a different story. <laughs> It sound like us too. I was going to say open and honest <laughs> feedback always. <laughs> but I think that I think that respect word it's so good isn't it? And that clarity of roles because that's often the bit. I mean we have to work on that. You know in our relationship at work and we have to put boundaries in place around not talking about work when it's personal and all of that. But I think often that that lack of clarity of roles I think we see is a big challenge when people work in the same space or often come into a family business that sometimes is like oh well just do what you want to do and it's like well then that boundary line isn't there and the res- they might have respect for each other but they don't have respect for the- their roles and therefore they can't have those objective conversations that you're kind of talking about it lo- looks like you guys have well we also have the guidance from the RNLI as well you know what the roles are you know what's yeah. expected of you and we just have to make sure that we align with what's expected because it's not fair on anybody else as well if you know like if Anna favoritism that, that's just not going to happen <laughs> yeah so, you get you they're very clearly defined roles aren't they they know whose responsibility is what there's no oh that's my decision that's my decision you know who to go to and the, the crew are the same as well but it's we've got a fantastic station it's a very open environment down there we'll have very regular meetings we'll have good briefs debriefs we want to make sure that everybody has a voice down there doesn't matter whether you've been down there a day or whether you've been down there 30 years everyone's part of the team everyone's important so we've got the mentoring scheme as well so that trainee crew will be supported in a little group with substantive crew and a helm and then the helm works with another helm in their little group so it means that there's all that support all the way operations meetings first monday of the month management meetings every three months crew meetings every three months or more if you need them so there's there's a definite pattern of communication structure dissemination of information people are always involved you know it's it's not just an exclusive group that finds out what's going on and I think that I think that's interesting that because most people are time poor and often we'll hear where people don't have those regular communication sessions where everybody does have a voice and you have that mentoring structure in place which means that the support all the way through 
and people have to create the time and space for that. And it's not easy because it's particularly with, with what you do, you, most people are, are doing the role voluntarily and they'll be running busy lives outside of that. I think that's a it's a really good message to say you've got to create that time. It pays off in dividends at the, in the long run. Absolutely. And that leads to sustainability as well. You know, it's no good me being operations manager and managing everything. We've got a station full of people who have strengths and they each have responsibilities. So I've got somebody who manages sort of the fire safety, somebody who manages the, the casualty care kit, somebody else who manages the fuel store. I will oversee everything. But I like people to play to their strengths and they in turn will have somebody to support them. So we've got that sustainability in case somebody leaves. And I think that speaks to, you know, that speaks to your people patterns there, Kate, around, you know, that prioritisation of everybody being productive, but also happy in their roles and feeling like they're contributing. I'm interested before we wrap up to touch on the gender balance piece, because, you know, Anna, you shared that obviously when you first joined, there wasn't any women you are the first female at the helm and you were one of the, I know there's there's a few others, but you were one of the only stations in the UK to have an all-female crew. Talk to us a little bit about that and how important that is to you and how you have gone about creating that and driving some change. The biggest thing is that it was to me is quite lighthearted because when I first joined, it was quite unusual at our station in particular to have women on the crew and I remember someone making the comment of it's really strange to see a ponytail coming out of the back of the helmet (laughs) and when we launched with all four of us all female crew I saw four ponytails and I just got really excited about it (laughs) wow this it just just it for me it was a defining moment of change I was like this we've got all four we've had I think three or four launches recently which have been all female and it's just been who's been down at the time we've got nine women involved in the station now which I think is like a third of the station but it wasn't always easy I wish I could say that it had been I think attitudes have really had to change and when we did launch with an all-female crew even just last year some of the comments we got on social media were horrendous they were absolutely awful and it's such a shame because I'm really pleased the girls who are involved now a lot of them have never had any of those attitudes. They've never never seen anything like that, which is fantastic. And the first time they saw it was on social media and they were really shocked and really upset by it. They said, look, just ignore them because it's really awful when they're doing such a good job, just like the rest of the station are. Every, everybody's there as a volunteer. Everyone is equal. And just because they're a woman, they're getting such backlash it's it just wasn't fair when they're absolutely amazing individuals and they don't deserve that so we've still got a way to go but it's really great to see how much progress is being made and one of the first jobs that I did at the helm I came back and I took my helmet off again the ponytail stands out quite a lot but one of the little girls on the beach just she screamed at the top of her lungs and she just went the captain's a woman and she was so oh excited it's like that is amazing that no is modeling. it was i wanted to turn away and hide my face but i was like it's really nice that she can see that and knows that when she grows up that's possible for her to to go and do and by the time she grows up there should be absolutely no difficulty or boundaries or barriers hopefully and that oh god i've just got goosebumps mm-hmm. with that but i think that's amazing and i think you know a big piece of that is 
is you, you know, role modeling that. That we always say that change comes when people can see people that look like them, right? And that people that inspire them, that are similar to them and whatever that is. And you're driving that, you know? And is there anything in particular that you guys have done as part of profiling or awareness that you think has brought more women to the table because that's something I mean we are massive believers in driving change specifically around gender balance but I think a lot of our clients when we talk about this you know they're like how do we attract more of that and how do we do more of that other than the obvious of creating great role models is there anything you guys have done in some of your volunteer efforts that you think has changed that yeah I think for me it's the education visits that we do on station so this year alone, we've had almost 900 children through the station with 170 odd adults from schools, youth groups. And, you know, we've talked to them about different subjects because we've got a great lad, one of the crew who's now station visits manager and, and he coordinates all of this. So we will contact the youth groups or the schools beforehand to find out what they're doing at school in the national curriculum or within their interest groups. So we will tailor the visit to what they're doing. It might be about brace darling. It might be about water safety. It might be about people who help us. I think yeah, people sometimes. who help us, they often do. We had one group who was doing the lighthouse keepers lunch and looking at pulleys. So, you know, we try and tailor it to what they're doing. And then we have those conversations when they're on station. And I remember there was some children last year who were quite surprised, again, that we had a, a woman driving the tractor and another child said to their friend, well, your mother drives a car, doesn't she? <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought by bringing them into an environment where there's a difference to what they're expecting on a daily basis, they can have those conversations with their teachers, with their peers, and that's driving change from a very young age, from the age of four or five. And again, that links with my day job about education, social work, community well-being. It's making sure that we're having those changes from the very early years. Well, you've certainly been an inspiration for us. Absolutely. Um, and uh, thank you for all the amazing work that you do. And I think, you know, that's just, it's such a lovely message to wrap up on. And we will be popping in the show notes a link to people if you know, you're interested in volunteering or finding out more, then check that out. But thank you, ladies, so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Let's wrap up some takeaways from a great episode with Anna and Kay. So the first to talk about is the whole value in placing clear accountability onto different roles and making sure that each member of the team is clear around what their role is, where it starts and ends, and then the respect of those roles and how you navigate workplace relationships. We then talked about the whole thought process that, especially when you're working in high pressure situations, that the managing emotions of others is down to managing your own emotions. That actually what we looked at with Anna was the ability to be calm under pressure really plays into her level of challenge focus and the ability for her to be able to really calmly assess and work through the different problems as they come up. The final takeaway was around that conversation of the biggest and most effective way to drive real change in diversity efforts is the placing of role models that people can look to and aspire to be like. 
Thank you for listening to Misbehave. Follow us so you don't miss out on other episodes.